Welcome to Gathering Gold. This is Cheryl Paul. And I'm Victoria Russell. So in the last episode, we talked about nighttime. And now we're talking about morning and what can come up for the highly sensitive person. So Cheryl, would you like to share a little story about mornings? Yes. So a few days ago, I woke up and I stepped outside onto our balcony where it's one place where I like to do my morning practices um, when the weather turns gorgeous. And I was moving through my practices, um, feeling not a whole lot, just moving through them. And then I dropped down into child's pose. Um, And I really slowed down, came into my body. And it was when I went into child's pose that I noticed something in my heart. An emotion like sadness, maybe emptiness, maybe nameless dread. And I breathed into it, slowing down even more, watching my mind's desire to name exactly what I was feeling, but dropping back down into the place of just feeling it, noticing it, accompanying the feeling without trying to change it or fix it. And as I was staying with this feeling in my heart, I noticed that the mama robin who has been sitting on a nest outside our bedroom window, um, she looked flustered and I saw that a bluebird was attacking the nest. And the bluebird was going back and forth, circling around the nest outside our window and then going back into the apple tree. And I didn't know what was happening. I was worried that the bluebird had stolen an egg, had the babies hatched, had the bluebirds stolen a baby. I didn't know. I just saw the mama bird looking flustered and feeling her urgency to protect her nest and feeling into her fear of loss. And everything inside of me broke open, feeling into the vulnerability of all life, the frailty, the risks that we take every single day when we love, when we care so deeply. And Pema Chodron's phrase, the genuine heart of sadness, came to mind as it often does. I love that phrase, which is the inherent sadness of being human, not necessarily because something sad has happened to you or is happening, but because there's a sadness, there's a heart tinged with sadness that's just part of our human experience. And so when I opened to that genuine heart of sadness, I also, my heart, my whole heart flew open. Opening to the sadness opened my whole heart and I opened to what felt like in that moment, like a flock of joy that was living in my heart as well, embedded in the sadness, next to the sadness, and just this immense gratitude for the miracle of this robin, this bird who had built a nest outside our window. It's a miracle to me every single day when I see that nest there, especially having grown up in a city. I That's not something that I grew up with, so it is A miracle, the miracle of that nest, the miracle of those blue eggs that sit in the nest, the babies that will be born, the miracle of love that cares 
for life. This is what I can experience sometimes if I take that time in the morning to slow down, taking the risk to feel what's living in my heart instead of rushing past it, listening to the world around me, but starting with that world inside. It's really beautiful. Hmm. And I can really relate to tapping into kind of a a nameless or amorphous sense of sadness or like you said, or maybe emptiness. I have definitely had periods when I was having a lot of panic attacks when I would wake up and just panic was the first thing I felt. Yes. But I also was thinking about how sometimes there's a very specific reason why morning is difficult or waking up is really difficult. And I was thinking about when my college boyfriend and I were breaking up in a kind of a long drawn out process of breaking up. And Mm -hmm. every morning when I woke up was so painful and difficult. We didn't live together, but I would have dreams about him or I would, you know, immediately want to reach out. Maybe sometimes I would reach out. And so the morning, it was just like everything would come flooding in instantly upon Mm. opening my eyes. There was such a specific reason why waking up and facing reality and facing the day was really difficult at that time. And Mm. so I also just find myself thinking about anyone who's listening who might be going through something very specifically difficult and how waking up can just be very painful when the reality of what you're waking up into is is painful. Yes. Yes. So compassionate to bring that in first thing and to connect to anybody who is listening who's going through something specifically painful, um, perhaps a loss of some kind, and that when you wake up, it's that feeling of, oh gosh, another day that I have to face, that I have to sit with this loss, with this pain. Um, and so it, you know, it brings us into this topic of the liminal, the liminal time, that morning is another liminal time, like night where we're poised between two worlds, the world of the unconscious, dream, sleep, and our conscious reality. And like all liminal zones, all in-between times, it's highly vulnerable, and it's often when anxiety and intrusive thoughts and anything that we've managed to distract from during the day, and even the night, and sleep, and anything we've managed to shove down comes rushing in. And I was thinking, when I was thinking about this episode, that like nighttime, morning is also a silt time. And so what I mean is that whatever has been ignored, shoved down, distracted against, will rise up to the top of the jar of soul and ask for attention. So if you imagine that Our soul is like a jar filled with water and all day long we're shaking it up, we're busy, we're loud, we're noisy, we're distracting and then 
we go to sleep, everything settles down, we have to stop moving, and then throughout the night, the, the mud, the sludge, it all kind of rises to the top. So we can feel this at night because that's also another time that we stop and it's a liminal time, but I think it can be more pronounced in morning because we've been still all night long in sleep. Mm. And so the stuff that actually wants our attention, what needs our attention, like what's left rises to the top. And I was thinking how, going back to our second episode and talking about the name-gathering gold and the gold that comes from approaching our inner world, what feels like the heaviness, what is the heaviness, the sludge, the mud, the lead, the depression, the anxiety, the grief, when we approach it with a great deal of compassion and tenderness and gentleness and curiosity, that we realize that there's also gold in that silt. That through the lens of gathering gold, we we see the gold. And I was thinking how when you go down to the beach and you collect wet sand, you can see flecks of gold in it. As a child, I think that always, it looks like gold. And I know my kids, when we even go down to the creek here, and they'll say, look, gold in the mud. So it's remembering that it can feel so awful in the morning, that heavy layer, but that when we approach the sorrow or the anxiety or the dread or whatever sits in that morning silt layer with even just a bit of kindness, we can find the gold there. Hmm. I'm thinking about how I also had a more recent experience of relationship anxiety with my current partner, um, who I'm with and who I love (laughs) very much, Mm -hmm. and how painful that experience was having difficult dreams and just carrying a lot of anxiety and even depression and, um, and how waking up from that in that state was always really difficult and how it can be so hard to believe that there's any gold there and, um, and to know what to do when you wake Mm. up with that feeling. I'm actually wondering if it's possible to like really break down like what turning inward looks like without getting really either just like dragged down or stuck in Mm. what feels more like self-absorption or something that is like engulfing as opposed to, oh, I'm like attending and moving on, (laughs) moving forward. How do you turn inward without getting just dragged and bogged down? Yeah, no, it's a fantastic question and such an important one. And it it speaks to another place that I talk about a lot, which is that inner parent, um, that if you are turning inward and there isn't an inner parent at the head of the table, if there isn't um, that part of you that 
that is grounded, that is anchored, that that compassionate friend that you would be for any one of your friends who maybe happened to call you at 7 a.m. and needed you to show up for them because we all have that part of us. And the reason I use that example is because some people say, well, I don't have an inner parent. Well, you do. It's the part that shows up for everybody else (laughs) except for your own self, right? It's the part that if your little sister calls or you're taking care of an animal or your best friend needs you, you show up. And so if you're turning inward and you are just the feeling part, you are just the grief without some other solid part of you that is standing on the shore, it will feel like you are drowning. Yes. And it, it won't actually be productive. It will feel like you are just getting bogged down in this, in this swampland of, of stickiness and emotion and messiness. And you won't necessarily have that sense of things moving, right? Move, the energy moving and opening you to even just a glimmer of insight, a glimmer of, oh, I'm okay. I moved through something and I'm okay. You know, this is, this is why morning practices, in my opinion, are so important because it's this very raw time where, yes, the inner parent can easily jump ship and just go offline. So easy to do that. But because it's such potent time, because the impact is greater, the inner parent may be able to show up with more, more fortitude, show up in a stronger way. And so it's, the bigger picture here is that it's not all going to happen in those first five minutes, right? If, if you're not growing that inner parent at other points in your day, if you're not tapping into practices like journaling or dialoguing or mindfulness that help you grow that witness self and help you grow that part of you that is self-reflective. Um, it's going to be a lot harder in that morning time. But but there's also this incredible potent opportunity, this window of time where you can practice stepping in, showing up. Another phrase that I often use in my work is move toward. There are going to be difficult feelings always. And so we're in this morning time of heightened difficult feelings often. Sometimes you might wake up in joy and that's fantastic. Um, And also something to move towards and also an experience that some people actually have a hard time moving towards joy Mm -hmm. and embracing joy. Um, And that's worth mentioning as well. And and needs, needs us to move toward as much as our difficult feelings. So the choice point is to recognize that you can get up and distract, reach for your phone, which is the go-to place for most people these days, I think. Um, Immediately externalize whatever's going on, open to this whole gigantic universe of the internet and the whole outside world comes rushing in instantly. And Sometimes that may be exactly what is needed, and that's okay. But 
eventually those difficult feelings that you are trying to distract from are going to find you one way or another. So the choice point is you wake up, however you're feeling, whatever you're experiencing, and you realize in that fraction of a second before you reach for your phone, which I know is really, really hard, but you realize I have a choice. I can get up and try to distract from the anxiety. And again, sometimes that may may be exactly what's needed. You can jump on the anxious train of thought, whatever the spike is, relationship anxiety or health anxiety or worrying about your kids or all of the spinning and tumbling that happens in our anxious brains. Um, And if you jump on that train of thought, you will almost invariably, inevitably, guaranteed, add fuel to that fire. And usually that happens by ruminating, but it can also happen by Googling or scrolling, trying to find something that's going to magically um, dissolve the anxiety. Um, Or you can try to avoid what's happening internally altogether by reaching for your phone or, or something else that will numb you. Or you can become curious. You can put all of those externals aside and it's really hard to do. So simple to say, so hard to do. Become curious. Turn inward. Turn toward the anxiety or the loneliness or the grief or the joy, whatever it is you're feeling, and bring some softness to it, some holding like you would a child, if you had a child in your bed who woke up crying, who woke up scared, who woke up joyful, and you were deeply bonded to this child, how sad would it be if you missed that moment of connection and turned to your phone instead? I was saying to you before we started recording that my phone and I are often (laughs) co-sleeping, So, um, so not all the time. It's sometimes it is literally in the bed. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's right next to it. Sometimes it's on the dresser across the room. Mm-hmm. It's something that I feel like if I don't check it right away, and I am I'm really trying to like do the right the right thing, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. I'm just like waiting till I can check it. And I feel like I'm like mm. thick, a little fixated on it. If my phone is in eye shot, if I can see it, I don't stand a chance. There is no way that I can resist the urge to check. I mean, not no way, obviously. You know, I could do it if I had to, but it's not going to happen. And so that's why even literally just putting it outside the door so that I can't see it. Yeah, my anxious brain is like, I, I need my phone in case someone breaks into my house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not to plant any ideas into any anxious heads, but um, uh, especially when I I'm alone. That. If I'm yes. completely alone um, in the house, I, yeah, I'm like, I need my phone in the room because what if someone breaks in? <laughs> I understand that completely. And if I was alone, I would feel the same way, 100%. I would totally feel the same way. And so, you know, then it's kind of working with what you have. And so let's say 
You are going to keep your phone in your room. You are going to check it first thing in the morning. Okay, that's okay. We make room for that. That's the reality for most people. So let's not fight that current too hard. Um, Yes, the recognition that once you open up that portal, the whole world rushes in. And so it's a little bit harder to get back into that space of soul, that space of heart and body. But it doesn't mean it's not possible and it's not beneficial. And so let's say you, again, inner parent says, okay, I'll check for five minutes or I'll keep my phone in my room because I feel safer. But then after I check for the five minutes, then I put it away. Then I put it outside the door. Mm -hmm. That actually was really helpful to me because I do tend to get so black and white and so hard on myself. Like, Mm -hmm. it's all or nothing. Like, if I even pick it up, oh, I failed. I'm a bad person. And the whole day is ruined. And, like, having that weight and that guilt is so unhelpful. And Mm. so sometimes it's a lot easier just to say, yeah, so I, I picked it up and I checked. And now I just put it down and I do the next thing. Yes. Um, And... This is not an advertisement, but I did shift to um, opening up the Headspace app and watching their wake up video. Mm. My favorite ones are like a couple of minutes of just very focused, uh, beautiful video of like something in nature. Um, Mm. My favorite was about the 72 micro seasons of the Japanese calendar. And it might be like four minutes and it's beautiful and it's quiet. And for me, I think when I was just in such a place of like rumination and obsessing and getting really dragged under, if I watched a little video like that, it inspired me to just get out of bed and I would first check the weather app, but I would look at, okay, what's the sunrise and sunset time? And what phase of the moon are we in? And what are the high and low temperatures today? And Mm. I would write it all down on a whiteboard on my refrigerator in the kitchen, almost like I was in like kindergarten or something. And it was like, Mm. okay, kids, what day is Mm -hmm. it? I would write down the date too, you know, like center Mm -hmm. myself in like when and where am I? And that really changed my perspective because kind of starting the day with, looking at nature, like other places inspired me to go like, well, where am I? What's Mm. going on where I Mm. am right now? Like so many days I would get to work and be like pre-COVID when I was in the office, like I don't even know what day it is. You know, I'm spending hours commuting and in a freezing cold office, no matter what Mm -hmm. season of the year it is. Mm -hmm. So I don't even know what the temperature is outside, how long the sunlight lasts, you know, like I'm in this vacuum almost practically. Yes. So just grounding myself in like when mm. and where am I and then noticing the day is getting longer or getting mm. shorter. And it mm. inspired me to like go, oh, I really need to take a walk today because it's actually going to be really nice and the day is going to be long. And mm. it really helped me just to take an action like that that just brought me into the present. Mm. I love that so much. And what it brings to mind are a couple of things. One is, (laughs) this is why I love that it's you and I doing this podcast, because I think you're speaking for your generation and Mm -hmm. I'm speaking from a different generation. Um, That you are saying, well, 
this is the reality. We are sleeping with our phones, basically. We are co-sleeping with our phones. <laughs> attachment style. We are attachment said. parenting. <laughs> um, and let's not fight it. Let's use it in the best possible way. And so using technology to bring you into the present moment, to ground you in time and space, where am I? What day is it? What's the date? What's happening seasonally? What's happening in, in the phases of the moon? What's happening in the weather? And that for you, that was the entry point. That was the portal that led you to a really beautiful grounding morning practice that did set the tone and even affect your actions for the day in terms of, oh, it's this is the length of the day. This is when it might be the best time to take a walk, right? So that's beautiful. That's the best use of technology. And I think that's a very different way of using it than I'm going to open up my phone and sit there and get lost in scrolling land for the first 20 minutes of my day. And so I think the most important piece here is how does it make you feel? Does it move you in a direction of more of coming into the present moment and being more grounded? Or after those 20 minutes of scrolling or getting lost in the black hole of YouTube or whatever it is, then what do you notice inside? And again, sometimes sitting there scrolling might land you in a more elevated place. It might point you in the direction of exactly what you needed to read when you woke up in the morning that helped diffuse or dissolve some intrusive thought that was starting to take hold or, or had already taken hold. And so it's not black and white. And we absolutely don't want to get stuck, absolutely, um, in, the, <laughs> in, the, in that mindset of, oh, if I pick up my phone, I'm bad, I failed. It's, it's really much more, it's less about the action itself and so much more about what happens next, what is your intention. But the other thing it brought to mind from what you shared is um, a very beautiful way to ground and connect in time and space, which is one that I use, which for me is connecting to the Jewish calendar. And this has only happened for me in the past couple of years because, as I think I shared in that initial episode, I didn't grow up in any kind of religious way. So Judaism for me has been this very slow piecing together um, as an adult of what resonates for me. And in the past year or so, I've started to write down when I write, when I go to journal or write down a dream in the morning, I'll write the Gregorian calendar date, June 7th, and then I'll write what day it is in the Jewish calendar. And it connects me in so many levels. It connects me to the lunar calendar because Judaism is a lunar calendar and our calendar is a solar calendar. So Judaism follows the phases of the moon. I immediately know how, how near we are to the next new moon based on the date or the full moon or the quarter moon. Um, I'm connected to my ancestors. I'm connected to this whole lineage that I come from. So I think the most important piece, the most important word 
and I think we've touched on this in every episode and probably will moving forward in every episode, is connection. What makes you feel connected, grounded, in the present moment? And what makes you feel disconnected? And again, with no judgment, right? So for me, going to my phone disconnects me. For somebody else and what you're sharing, right? It's an avenue for deeper connection, for deeper grounding. And so again, it's not the thing itself. It's how we use it that matters. Yeah. It's, to me, it's like, what's also helpful is what can I, what choice can I make that will just remove the charge a little bit? So if, if forbidding myself from touching the phone makes it that much more charged, Mm -hmm. then then that might not be the the best way right now. Like I'm also hopeful that maybe sometime in the future, I won't, I won't immediately reach for it. Who, Who knows, you know, and there have been times where I've had, you know, different practices in the morning, um, and I didn't immediately reach for my phone, but I think, yeah, really like removing the charge so that you feel more neutral as opposed to, oh, this, this thing is really, really good. And this thing's really, really bad. And I have to choose the right one or I'm, you know, <laughs> um, yes. And like you said, kind of looking for the points of connection. And does it connect me? And it's so paradoxical it's so ironic because we reach for the phone because we're looking for connection we we are so hungry for connection and we do need that connection we need that comfort from others and so we reach for the phone and we think something or someone is going to fill in this empty bored lonely feeling inside maybe there will be a text or an email that will fill in my loneliness maybe an Instagram post will make me feel alive, will make something make sense. And it's not that these ways of connecting can't help, can't point us in the direction of tools or insights that can help us in some way, but they can't do it for us. It's just about asking, is this a loving choice? Is this a choice that serves me? It's not right or wrong, right? Definitely removing the charge of morality of I'm a bad person or this is the spiritual thing to do and this is the not spiritual yes. thing to do, Yep. right? We definitely want to shift away from that kind of morality or judgmental thinking because of course that doesn't serve anything. But it's again, it's bringing that mindset of curiosity and, and, and being deeply curious. What actions feel connecting? Right. Does this connect? And, and, and it's okay to choose the ones that are disconnecting. It's Again, it's all okay. It's all okay. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you less spiritual. Right? It's shifting away from all of that thinking and coming back into you and just asking, how do I feel when I make this choice? How do I feel when I make that choice? What do I notice inside? And even just pausing long enough to notice that you are making a choice as opposed yes. to the autopilot. When I think about things being charged, mornings are interesting because 
I think there's a lot of pressure on mornings, definitely like the, oh, I should really wake up in a spiritual way with, you know, if you, if you tend towards that. And then there's the, Mm -hmm. there's this fascination with what do successful people do in the morning? What are the morning habits of people who are super successful in their field? Mm -hmm. And so there's this like pressure first thing when you wake up, like what kind of person am I? Am I a, am I a spiritual Mm -hmm. person? Am I a successful person or am I a failure? Mm. <laughs> there are some people who are just like, um, yeah, I wake up, I make my cup of coffee and I read the newspaper. Like, what's the big deal? <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, who yes. just would never even understand why no. we would agonize over this. But then there are those of us, myself included, <laughs> who are waking up every morning like, I should really be meditating for 20 minutes right now, but I'm scrolling through Instagram. Um, Yes. And so, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm so fascinated by, by that, by like the weight we put on it. And what I really love though, is seeing how everybody is so different. I looked up in preparation for this episode, I was like, what did Jane Austen do in the morning? Like, Mm. what do they know about what Jane Austen did? Well, apparently she played the piano when she first Mm. woke up. And I was like, Mm. oh, I love to like practice the guitar a little bit when I first wake up. Yes. You know? Yes. And when I was a little kid, I loved on weekends, um, not, I mean, I've always had a really hard time getting out of bed. I've always just wanted to stay asleep. But on the weekends, I would wake up early. My mom was like, why? (laughs) When you have to go to school, you don't want to get out of bed. But on the weekends, I'd wake up before everybody else Mm -hmm. and I would go downstairs to read because I just Mm. loved reading so much. And I loved that it was quiet and I would just start my day with a book. Mm. So I also just found myself thinking about like, what are the things that I used to what would I have done as a kid? Like, what was my first impulse as a kid? And it was to pick Mm. up a book with a lot of joy and to find that quiet spot while everyone else was asleep Mm. to enjoy my book. I love that. And it it tracks back to one of the metaphors that, that I was talking about earlier in terms of regarding those first few minutes, first half hour, um, like a child. As if you are a child, how do I want to open the day? How do I want to greet myself? How do I want to start the day? And so thinking back to what you actually did as a child is really beautiful. That for you, waking up early and grabbing a book and curling up in the corner and everybody was asleep, that was so joyful for you. And for Jane Austen, getting up and playing the piano and and for you reaching for the guitar. Like those are such beautiful ways to start the day. Such, um, I would think, very fulfilling, soul-honoring ways to start the day. And again, that's not to say that if you start the day by scrolling or reading the news, that it's bad or wrong. It's not about bad or wrong. It's just about noticing. How does it make you feel? What's happening inside? And for the people who get up and make a cup of coffee and read the newspaper and they're like, why are you agonizing? All you have to do is get up. Number one, they're probably not listening to this podcast. 
<laughs> they're listening to like NPR or <laughs> morning news or something. And that's great. And we bless their hearts. We need all oh types. Oh my gosh. We really need them in our lives too. We yeah. really need them. Like, <laughs> amen. Thank you. I wish I was you sometimes. Yeah. But, <laughs> but we are not. We are the 20% highly sensitive people. And so there are different requirements. There are different things that are asked of us. Um, there are different needs. There are different sensitivities. And it is really about building your own morning practice, even if it's five minutes, that feels nourishing for you that fills you in some way, that tends to yourself in some way, it doesn't necessarily mean sitting there with all of your grief. It might not be that. That might not be the time when you need to sit there with all your grief. That's okay. Your grief will find you at some other time. But if you are even aware enough of the grief that you can name it and then say, maybe I'm going to play the piano with my grief. Maybe I'm not just going to sit there and journal about it and cry. Or maybe I'm just going to step outside and tilt my head to the sun and say, good morning day, and feel the sun. That's one of my most favorite things to do in the morning, is especially this time of year, is just, just get outside or open a window, look outside, but if I can actually step outside and, and feel the day and greet the day and connect to something bigger than me. And when I do that, and even talking about it now, it reminds me of braiding sweetgrass, which I will be mentioning, I'm sure, a ton in this podcast, Robin Wall Kimmerer and the indigenous practice of Blessing the day, greeting the day, really being in gratitude. First thing in the morning that we acknowledge that without that sun in that exact position and the earth in the exact spot that it is in relationship to that sun, we have no life. And so just that simple act for me of stepping outside feeling the sun, feeling that warmth, feeling that goodness and saying, thank you, sun. It makes a difference. I love talking about how, how, how much we need that diversity of different types of people. And then also even for ourselves, I know you mentioned to me, Cheryl, that there have been periods of your life, like when you, when your children were very young, when this was really hard and so your mornings looked really different and that was okay. And just allowing ourselves even to be dynamic with it, not trying to like enforce something on ourselves that's just really not right for where we are at, mm -hmm. in, the, in a particular season and instead turning to something really gentle like you just talked about. Like I really enjoy sometimes just watering the plants when I first wake up. Yeah. I'm just like, listen, I don't have enough <laughs> in me right now to like turn towards this 
big, big feeling right now. Mm -hmm. I need the container of my therapy session. Like I'm just, I'm not going to do it right now on my own. But can I connect to that sense of care by caring for my plants? Yes. And and slowing down and feeling the sun and feeling the water and just being really grateful Mm. for the flowers, you know? Mm. Yes. Yes. That's so beautiful. I also love emphasizing the the beauty of all temperaments. Um, and it makes me think about my husband, your uncle Dave, mm-hmm. um, who is who is highly sensitive, but in a different way than I am. And when I come down in the mornings, if he's awake before I am, he always has his iPad on the kitchen counter with the Twitter feed <laughs> and his cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's the equivalent of the morning newspaper, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, you know, he is a very spiritual, creative, artistic, beautiful human being. And this is how he starts his day. For the life of me, <laughs> I cannot understand it. I, I wish I could. I wish I could just get into that. But... It, like I said, it, for me, it feels like an assault. Um, well, I'm not even on Twitter because the whole Twitter world terrifies me, but um, <laughs> I'm way too sensitive for Twitter. But he loves it. That's his ritual. You know, he gets his, his, his meditation time, which is, you know, very rarely, I think, just sitting and meditating for him. It's doing art or it's getting to the mountains when he can, when, when he, going for a hike when he can. Um, so it's, it is very much widening, I think, these very narrow definitions we have of something like when you hear morning practice or spiritual practice. It can literally be watering the plants. It's just noticing what is needed, bringing some sense of kindness to wherever you're at, making a choice, recognizing that there is a choice point, and even just that alone, slowing down enough to recognize that you have a choice point instead of reaching for the habitual things, devices, substances, whatever it is that you reach for, slowing down enough to ask, is this serving me? Is this nourishing me? If I were to make a different choice right now, what might that be? And I really love connecting to a person whose voice I can hear in my head. So it might be my therapist or it might be our beloved Pema Chodron Hmm. who just has such a comforting voice Mm -hmm. or like a friend or for someone it might be you, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, if something like mourning is something you struggle with, like I just really like connecting to a person who makes me feel both comforted and and inspired, right? Mm-hmm. In that moment to to think about something they might say or encourage or just something that they've said that brings me some sense of, oh yeah, like if I'm struggling right now, that that is part of the human experience and mm-hmm. it's okay. And it often just has to do, like you said, with that pausing and noticing first and foremost yes with yes. kindness if i can muster it <laughs> yes borrowing that kindness from someone else sometimes mm. 
it reminds me actually of something that I do recommend to people who are struggling with panic attacks or even in the midst of an anxious moment is to put into your notes section, what do I do in a panic attack? Mm -hmm. What do I do in the middle of an intrusive thought storm? Because we have amnesia, we forget Mm -hmm. that different part of our brain has taken over. And we have to literally remember, first of all, that we have that little reminder in the phone. But the same can be true for mourning. Mm. But you mentioned, again, through the lens of compassion and being kind to ourselves, those times in life when we have no mourning practice to speak of. And for me, as a new mother for many years, I didn't have really any mourning rituals. Um, It was my kids in the bed, my babies in the bed, and then toddlers in the bed and older kids, but kids in the bed for a very long time. Um, And not waking up according to my own clock at all, waking up from their clock and waking up to their needs their needs being first and foremost. It's it's part of the reason why, Victoria and all of you listening, why my morning practices are so delicious mm. and sacred to me now. And I think that's an important piece to throw in, that me at 49 versus you at 29, me having a almost 17-year-old and a 12-year-old, having all those years when my mornings were not my own. Mm. My nights were not my own for years and years and years. That for me now to wake up and not have a child needing me is nothing short of extraordinary. Mm. And at 49, things become a lot more non-negotiable. I don't have a luxury actually, of just jumping out of bed. My body needs a different kind of attention than it needed at 29 or even at 39. And my soul does too. The stakes are higher in this portal that I'm in. And so for those years when the morning ritual was breastfeeding my baby, that was it. And that's beautiful. That's beautiful, but it wasn't my own. It was all output. Everything was output. And then when they got a little older, I would find a way to do my rituals, some of them with them in the room. Now I have a I have a visual in my mind of putting on music when Asher is little and I was sleeping in his room at that point and doing yoga. Um and I love that he has that somewhere in his memory bank. Mm. You know, that that's how his mommy started her day, was just doing five or ten minutes of yoga, stretching, very informal, just moving my body, connecting to the music. Always invite them to join me. Usually they wouldn't. That's okay. And so, again, it's really emphasizing, I think, what we are both wanting to emphasize, that for highly sensitive people, it's so easy to come down on ourselves for not doing this or that. There are stages in life, there are times in life when you simply can't, for whatever reason, you just can't 
create a morning practice at all. And that is completely okay. And I know that you have a suggestion. <laughs> yes, a suggestion. For, for how we might try greeting the first five minutes of our day when we wake. Yes. So when you wake up and you open your eyes, In many traditions, the first words that we are advised to say, encouraged to say out loud, is some form of thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for another day. In Judaism, the prayer is the Modeani, Modaani for women. And it's a very beautiful, simple 13-word prayer that basically thanks the spirit of the universe, the breath of life, whatever, however we conceive of that for returning my soul to me, for having faith in me, being fully me for another day. And so in that prayer, there's this just very simple exchange of thank you and in some sense, may I be of service. May I be the fullness of me in service in some way for this day. So that can be first. And this is like when I talk to people about creating a spiritual practice. It's like creating, it's like creating a recipe. So take a little bit of this from the gratitude pantry section and then shift into your body taking one deep breath inhale exhale maybe bringing your knees to your chest if that's accessible to you but this sense again of coming into your body waking up your body tapping into that life force the breath of life that we all have. If you are alive, you have a breath of life. And then the third action might be something like opening a window and greeting the day, maybe watering some plants, saying thank you, being in some sense of gratitude. Thank you, sun. Thank you, tree. Thank you, plant. Thank you, sky. And this helps us to connect to something bigger than ourselves and reminds us that we are in reciprocal relationship. Again, from, from Braiding Sweetgrass, she talks a lot about being in reciprocal relationship, giving and receiving, in-breath, out-breath, that we are in connection, that it's all about connection and that when we connect, when we can tap in, when we can link in, to that greater field. It can give a sense of I am being held. I am not alone. I am okay. I can be held in whatever experience I'm having right now. And it's one of the antidotes to anxiety. So this morning when I was 
and doing some stretching on the balcony and I was looking out at my beloved apple tree who is in such glorious full leafed bloom at the moment and it doesn't happen every morning it's so delicious when it does I try not to get attached to it but I was breathing and moving and looking at the tree being in union with the tree, sort of trying to match the, the limbs, the direction of the limbs with my own limbs. And I could feel that energy. I could feel the life force. I could feel that chi waking up. And it felt like my own sap moving the way the trees start to wake up in early spring. That this is my waking up from the winter of sleep into that early spring, that sort of cold place of morning, even if it's warm outside, but just getting my joints, my limbs, my soul, my heart moving again. And so to, when I can tap in and I feel and I'm, I'm linking into connecting with the tree's life force, resonating it into my own tree, trunk, torso, the limbs, my arms and legs. There's a real grounding. There's a real joy that I can draw from for the rest of my day. That doesn't mean I will stay in joy the whole day. That hardly ever happens. The day will be whatever the day is. My kids will fight with each other. My husband and I will get irritated. We'll, there'll be work stress. The day will be the day, but there'll be, in some sense, some undercurrent, some underlayer that I can tap into not even consciously. It's not that I'm going back to that moment in the morning, but I trust that I am drawing from that well, that I took that time to fill the well in the morning that felt like it sometimes just starts out empty in those first moments of awakening, filling it up. Maybe not all the way. Maybe I fill it halfway. That's okay. And then I draw from it so much output in my days. So many people that I'm Tending to, gratefully, tending to. It's a lot of output. My well needs to be as full as possible. And so I'm drawing from it. And then I'm back tonight. I'm back to episode three. And again, filling the well, closing out in some way. Oh, I love that image of the apple tree and the sap. Mm. I am totally going to use that tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Trees are amazing places to tap into. And no matter where you live, almost I'm always amazed when I go to New York City and there's trees and there's birds, mm -hmm. even in New York City. Mm -hmm. The trees and the birds are everywhere and such gifts 
that they still grow in concrete. And we can, we can have relationships with them that deeply serve us. And, and I like to think may even serve them. Mm. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much. Mm. Thank you, Victoria. If people want to find you and more of your work online, where should they go? Yes, you can find me on my website, conscious-transitions.com and on Instagram at Wisdom of Anxiety. And you can find me over at my other podcast, Perennials, or on Instagram at Perennials Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. 